Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, I had an opportunity yesterday to... um... FaceTime with all eight grandchildren. But I only got attention from the youngest, from Lukey, little, two, little two-year-old Luke. Grandpa's old news to these kids already. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I just love it though. I love to tune in and see all the chaos in those homes and uh, junk everywhere, paper everywhere, and these families are just having the time of their life, and it is so good. And um, as we go to prayer, we are grateful for our family connections and for our friends, and, and at the same time, we're, we're concerned for, for those of us who are, who are alone at such a time as this, and our people who, uh, for whom Christmas came and went like, almost like any other day. And so um, we, we have to remember that we all want to belong, we all want to know that, that our lives matter to someone else. And so it's in, that, in those occasions where we can be with one another and, and at least we've got decent technology to reach out with one another. It's important for us to do that. And um, I'm glad you're all here this morning. You're the ones who really love Jesus because you're here on the Sunday after Christmas. And so uh, all those other people, we wonder about their faith. <laughs> But let's, uh, let's go to our Lord in prayer. And Father, you're coming to us in your Son, taking on human flesh. Lord God, that is a, a profound statement to all of us and each of us. And we're not alone. We're never alone. We're not isolated. We're not an accident of the cosmos. Whether we've been made in an act of love and redeemed in an act of great sacrifice. And so we thank you and acknowledge, O oh Lord, this great wonder that we, we profess without understanding. We observe without being able to comprehend. And so we thank you, and, and we ask that our Lord, uh, our lives, O oh Lord, might, might conform to the high calling to which we've been called. Lord, we confess our failures to love, how quickly we categorize and label others. Lord, so much time of division destroys our peace. Give us ears to hear, hearts to feel, even as we remember your calling to us and your example to us of godly humility that counts others better than ourselves. Lord, we, we pray against what are clearly in this world powers of evil, against principalities and powers that can infect us all with fear. It would divide us break us down, slot us into categories, and allow us to accuse and to hate. Lord God, 
May we not succumb. And we pray, O oh Lord, for the vulnerable. You would be a shield and protection to them. We pray for the innocent, that they might be rightly sheltered from harm. Pray for those who are angry, that they may know the consolation of your love and find patience and peace. Pray, O oh Lord, for those even who are willfully violent. Your spirit would bring them truth and justice and conviction for their wrong. We pray this morning also for all who are hungry, poor, indebted, unemployed, anxious, frightened, or depressed. And we ask, O oh Lord, that by your power and your presence, by the reality of your being with us in your Son, our Savior, Christ Emmanuel, that they may know that they are loved. And Lord, may we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might abide in your Son with an unwavering and immutable confidence that your love is made flesh in him. And because of that, foundational reality of all life, that our lives might be transformed and that we might take on his image and likeness. We pray this even as we pray as your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the wise men brought their gifts. They recognized the reality that a king had been born. And they set for us these Pagan astrologers have set for us an example that the church has followed for 2,000 years. We bring to God our gifts.
And dear Father, as we heard the, hear this story again that we've heard so many times, may you speak to us in a new way. May we be transformed, even as those who laid their eyes upon the baby Jesus were changed. We ask this, O oh Lord, in his name. Amen. Well, I saw some quizzical looks on certain faces this morning when we played the Grinch that stole Christmas. <laughs> Thinking, oh, why would we be playing that? Not only is it incredibly creative, Dr. Seuss was a brilliant creative mind. Well, you know, there were Grinches at Christmas time. There were some bad people trying to keep Christmas from happening. And there have been Grinches ever since. And I don't know exactly who Seuss was thinking about when he wrote that, that wonderful story of the Grinch that stole Christmas, but there have been Grinches in all of human history. Remember, I got trouble when I was at my church in, in Lubbock, Texas, because I likened the ACLU to the Grinch. Because <laughs> you couldn't set up nativity scenes in public parks and that sort of thing. And um, the, the voices this year had been somewhat muted, but I was just waiting to hear how Christmas was, was racist or whatever it might be. Uh, there are those who want Christmas to be robbed of its wonder. And yet, isn't it interesting that the Webb telescope was launched yesterday. That which constitutes the cutting edge of human knowledge is in search of the beginnings. They're in the same kind of quest that the astrologers were in when they came to the Christ child. And I wonder if it was on purpose or if it was a bit of an embarrassment that that was launched yesterday on Christmas Day. But I do think it might well be an act of God's providence to have those things come together on, at such a time as this in our, in our history as a people. So I bring to you the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew, the story of those who came from the East. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during, during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. And they were asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars at rose. We've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he heard from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country another way. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So the wise men were astrologers. And of course we sing three kings, but um, they were actually scientists, astrologers, academics. And they spent their time studying the movement of the stars because they believed that that in some way defined human destiny. So they watched it carefully. And they saw from the east, in the west, they saw this star. And we don't know what it was. There's all kinds of guessing about what it may be, the conjunction of planets or maybe a, or maybe a comet or, or who knows what they saw. Maybe it was a, an atmospheric light that, that literally led them from one place to another. But what they saw moved them to make a long, arduous journey, probably 1,200 miles. It was no small matter. We don't know how many there were. We have three gifts, so we think three kings, but we, we believe this was, an actually, this was actually an entourage, a large gathering of those who were the leadership and those who were the assistants and probably some wives and maybe some kids. And they all came this long distance and of course, they stopped along the way in Jerusalem. They stopped in Jerusalem because that was the capital city. And so that's where they inquired. Now, Herod, Herod was a bad man. It was said of him that it was better to be his pig than his son. He, he murdered more than one of his sons. He murdered one of his wives. Interesting, in the Greek, the word for pig is hus, and the word for son is huius. So it's better to be a hus than a huius. And uh, so there was a little bit of that kind of sardonic response to those kinds of comments about, about Herod. And, and he was power hungry. He wanted his dynasty to be the dynasty that lasted forever. He, he was half Jewish, and so he, that half of Jewishness was part of the Davidic line, and so that qualified him. And so he was one of those guys who would do anything whatsoever to maintain political power. Now, the those who came in from Persia had, had no clue about this kind of person. And so they said the exact wrong thing. <laughs> we hear a new king has been born. We've come to worship him. And so Herod responds by saying, I want you to tell me about what you saw and what your thinking is. And then he called on the religious authorities, the denominational authorities there 
in his community and wanted to know something about what, what do you all say that the Bible says on this, since he was no Bible reader. And so he wants to find out. And then he says to the wise men, go and take copious notes. Let me know everything you saw, everything that you see, and then come back and report it so I can go worship too. He wants to steal Christmas. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, said this, how little, how little is the greatness of the wicked and how small a power of goodness may bring it grief. So how, how small is the power of the wicked? And yet he would do anything to stay in power. And so we have this, this drive, this will to power. And that's what it looks like when somebody doesn't have God in their life. When somebody doesn't have something greater than themselves to look to, something greater than themselves to define them and to aspire toward, it becomes ugly. Wicked, evil. So the wise men stumbled into one of the one of history's most evil men, Herod. And not only was he this way, and he was of course in collaboration with Rome, it was all this power stuff. But then the denominational authorities, the chief priests and the, the Pharisees, those who were the biblical scholars and all of them, they also were, were in compliance with Herod because they derived their power from Herod's power. And Herod's power was derived from the power of Rome, which was the most, the most dominant force on the face of the planet. And so they, they come in with their biblical understanding of what's going on. But you notice, neither Herod nor the biblical scholars went to, Jeru went to Bethlehem. None of them went. They all stayed away. All these pagans came in and they went. And they went to the child. I remember in seminary, after lectures, lunchtime was at Princeton Seminary, they had large round tables where we could all sit and argue coming off of a lecture. And, um, and I, I remember some of, the, some of the conversations. I mean, you know how this is if you've been in an academic setting. Everyone around the table is trying to show the others just how stinking smart they are. They're quoting guys and, that they've not read. and they, Everyone's trying to act so darn smart. And it doesn't mean anything. They're just talking with one another. They're just upbuilding themselves. Leave the table and think, well, I, I got her. I won that argument. Um, and that's what happens sometimes in religious circles. And that is that denominational types or pastors who get too involved in that 
kind of bureaucratic setting. They can spend all their time talking and talking and talking, and nothing ever gets done. I was on the Synod Council in Southern California. We would talk and talk and talk. Nothing ever got done. So you bring in the religious types, and they talk and talk, but do they go to the baby? Do they go and lay their eyes upon what has happened? Do they allow themselves to maybe be shown wrong? Do they allow themselves to maybe open up their hearts a little bit so that wonder might break in? See, I love this story. Because the wise men then pack up, and Bethlehem's about six miles away from from where they were in Jerusalem. And the text tells us something that I frankly can't really grasp or understand. Maybe we'll learn more when the web telescope gets some news back to us. It says a star led them to the place where the child was. Now, I would think that meant some kind of an atmospheric star. And I thought, well, this is just legendary, part of the, the gloss of the New Testament. But then, I, then again, I think, well, what if? What if God just decided to put a star out there, just like we see in our Christmas cards, that moved and then stopped right over the house where Jesus was? What if? Perhaps. Maybe I'm just getting older and dumber. But I, I am allowing more and more as time goes by to let those moments of wonder break in and allow myself to be, to be moved and touched by things that are beyond my understanding. Instead of trying to whittle everything down to where we can manage it, and when I can manage it, then I'm the Lord of it. When I can't manage it, I am under it. So when I hear this story, I am under the story. I'm under the star. And I believe that those, those wise men, those astrologers, those academics, that they went... They went into the, it says they went into a house. Sorry to ruin all your Christmas cards, but uh, they go into a house where the baby was. And they see Mary and the baby. Presumably Joseph is there, but typically the guys are just sort of like wallpaper. What really matters is the baby and the mother. And they go and they see them and they offer their gifts. Now, these are humble settings. This is a humble place. This is not the place fit for a king. Neither was the birth fit for a king. But somehow, because they allowed the reality of wonder to break into their hearts, they could see something that that those big shots in Jerusalem couldn't see. They wouldn't allow themselves to see it. They came And they saw the God of the universe in human flesh. 
the creator himself in the form of an infant. Fully human, fully God there. That is the reality of what this story is about. That's a stunning reality. And I think we do well not to look at our Christmas story and try to explain it away. Let's just let it speak to us. Let's let the word stand on its own. Still remember one of my great professors at Princeton Seminary. He was in his mid-70s, brilliant man. Story about him was that even at stoplights, he'd be seen reading, <laughs> one, of those, one of those kind. But he gave us a lecture, and, and then he stepped, at the end of his le lecture, he stepped out to the side, and he looked at us, and he said, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Then we went and had lunch and argued about it. <laughs> but that's what this is, the wonder of God's coming to us. And when we preach the word, we're preaching Christ. And the scriptures are the primary witness to Christ, the word of God made flesh. And so we allow ourselves to live under the word, within the wonder of what God has done. Heaven forbid that we figure it all out. Heaven forbid that we get to the point where we think that we've got it all wrapped up. I believe that will not happen, even though I won't be around when that becomes a consensus. But that in fact, God will upset the wisdom of men, the wisdom of women, upset human wisdom with yet another surprise of his grace and mercy. Well, let's face it. If God can take on human flesh, he can know you personally. He can know your deepest longings, your highest hopes, and your, your most profound places of disappointment. That's a wondrous reality. And that's the deep and profound truth of God coming to us, Emmanuel. Will you join me in prayer? And so, dear Father, May we be surprised every day. May something strike our senses that just overwhelms us. May we find our, our eyes beginning to glisten because some, of something beautiful or of someone who says something unexpected. May we rejoice that your son is born. We pray in his name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.